Welcome to the Happy Homebirth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things homebirth and motherhood. Homebirth. Despite the podcast name, happy isn't the only adjective that can be used to describe it. No, my friends, birth experiences vary so widely and things do not always go perfectly easily. Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 81 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and I am so excited to get to this week's episode. Would you take a quick screenshot of you listening to the episode and upload it to your Instagram stories? Tag Happy Home Birth Podcast, and I will be sure to share in my stories as well. Now, today's interview is one of those tough births, but wow, our guest Sophia sheds so much insight and through her struggle brings so much encouragement to us all. There's such a balance. Of course, we want to be positive about childbirth and understand that it can be beautiful and peaceful, but we also need to recognize that birth is untamed and raw. It's such a thin veiled experience. Today's interview leans into the raw experience of Sophia's home birth and postpartum experience. I encourage you to embrace the intensity, but you know that I also like to be upfront about episodes like this so that if you are nearing your birthing time and you're concerned about hearing any difficult stories, you can save this one for a later date. Okay, now right before we jump into the interview, I do want to give you a quick update on Happy Home Birth Academy. If you are on the fence and we're considering purchasing it very soon, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and do that. Why? I'm going to be taking it offline for about a month as I gear up for my big launch. And I would like to let you know that with this second round of launching, there is going to come a significant price increase. So if you want to jump in on the 127 amazing price, Go ahead and buy it now. And as of July 11th, Happy Home Birth Academy will not be available for about a month. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. All right, let's jump into our interview. Please remember that the opinions of my guests may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And neither one of us are acting as medical professionals. So continue to see your doctor, your midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. Sophia, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm so glad to join and have this conversation. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. And it's one of those things where, you know, there are some people that you kind of befriend online and (laughs) really feel that there's a connection with. And you're definitely one of those people that I kept up with your pregnancy and was so excited to know that you had given birth and now to have you on and to share your story is going to be amazing. So if you don't mind, would you start by introducing yourself to the listeners? Yeah. So my name is Sophia and I am a first time mother. I have one little daughter now who's just over three months old and I did choose home birth for my first birth, which I myself enjoyed listening to stories like that throughout my pregnancy. I found the stories on this podcast to be really, really encouraging. So yeah, I'm excited to share a little bit of that with other people. (laughs) Well, wonderful. So if you don't mind, let's start there. What made you decide to choose home birth with your first child? I have always been pretty into natural things. As a child, I was very into herbalism. And when I was 12, my mother started having miscarriages. I was an only child. And I think through that process, I started getting a lot of interest in pregnancy and birth, and I rented every book at the library out in my teen years about birth and home birth and midwifery. And I read through all of them, and I was there when my mother gave birth. It was midwives in a hospital, but still that experience was very transformative for me. She did it totally unmedicated, and I guess I saw that it could be done. And since I myself don't usually go into hospitals for care, I usually seek out naturopaths or chiropractors and stuff like that. It really just made sense for me. And thankfully, my husband came on board. (laughs) (laughs) He was a little unsure at first, coming from a little bit more of a medical child rearing, I guess. But after we met with a few midwife groups, we interviewed a few months before getting pregnant. He felt very confident in our choice. So it was really good. 
That's a great way to do that, you know, to interview them before even becoming pregnant, especially when there's uncertainty in the partner to be able to kind of like, okay, well, let's do this without the pressure. Let's just go meet the midwives. I love to hear that that's what you guys decided to do. Yeah, it was really helpful, I think, for the both of us. (laughs) And so then what was your journey into pregnancy like? The beginning, I think, was quite smooth. We became pregnant pretty much immediately, thankfully. And even though you're hoping to become pregnant, of course, it's just such a shock. I think I don't know how it is for subsequent children, but for the first one, it's like, oh my gosh, this is actually (laughs) real life now. And now we have to make all the choices. And once it starts, it's, you know, it's like, it's gone. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So all of that went through my mind for sure. But we were very happy and thankful. And in the beginning, for the first few weeks, I didn't even feel pregnant, but it was on my mind constantly. Just, I don't know, just being so distracted by how something was different in me. At, I guess, about six weeks, I started getting a little nausea. So then I definitely couldn't forget that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I never threw up or anything like that. So I have nothing to complain about in that regard. But I just had nausea and dry retching for... <laughs> so like okay, you do have reason to complain. <laughs> That's totally it's, fair to complain. <laughs> it was gross, but not as intense as like what my mother had or something like that. Um, oh. But yeah, and I had some friends who were pregnant at the same time who were pretty much nauseous throughout the whole thing. So yeah. Yikes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that can be very rough. I love how you say like, yep. And then I hit six weeks and I could not forget that I was, <laughs> that definitely was happened. Ugh. I don't know why, for whatever reason in my mind with my first pregnancy, I just thought I wasn't going to experience morning sickness. And I just yep. decided that I was yep. very wrong. So when it hit me, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I had the same hope and that didn't happen, but oh well. (laughs) So yeah, but even before getting pregnant, I decided to go see a naturopath just a little bit to get a little bit of extra support balancing my hormones, just in case that would cause any issues sustaining a pregnancy. And so also in the first couple, let's say four months of pregnancy, I was also seeing the naturopath and that was a helpful encouragement or whatever. To have that. And then at that point, I kind of switched over to the midwives. And from then on, I had in office meetings with the midwives. I didn't have in home ones until the end of the pregnancy, but we were very happy with the care that we had throughout. They were very hands off in a way. So I had a lot of questions, but they would just give me information. But in the end, it was between the two of us to kind of make the choice. And that was really nice to experience, I think, not having any pressure put on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they were just giving you like, well, these are the things that you could do and you get to make that decision. For sure. And I think also because I was in a home birth Facebook group at the time and also listening to podcasts like this and speaking with friends who had had home birth. So I think I came every time with an essay of questions (laughs) and perhaps with other people, they would have brought up more stuff. But I think because I came with so many questions, they didn't have to initiate as many of those conversations. But yeah, we were pretty, felt pretty informed throughout the whole pregnancy as far as we could (laughs) Mm -hmm. without having experienced the reality. But yeah, so I guess I got ahead a little bit, but I had, yeah, the nausea in the beginning and a lot of food aversions. And I was surprised that I started showing around 12 weeks or so, which I didn't expect for a first pregnancy. And at 11 and a half weeks, I actually felt the first movement. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing which is the most beautiful thing ever. I was laying there going to bed one night and I just felt like a a weird flip, like something was flipping Mm -hmm. up around inside. Oh, and it was so shocking, but also so beautiful. And I definitely marked it on my calendar. So in subsequent years, I'll be like, oh, this is the day that I first felt the little one. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That it's really neat to hear that because it's so uncommon, especially in a first pregnancy to feel your baby move that early, but sure. I had the same experience with my first daughter. Wow. And then and it was it was so incredible. And so then I just assumed like, oh, that's how it'll be with my second. And I did not feel her until a number of weeks later. And I was very surprised oh. by that. So that's really cool to hear that you had that same experience. And I've always heard that it was with the subsequent pregnancies that you feel it more. So it's interesting that mm-hmm. that was flipped for you. I wonder how it'll right. be for our next one. <laughs> 
And I'm sure that part of that, you know, placenta placement and it can cause all kinds of different things, but that's really neat. And I think I've only heard of maybe one other mom personally that has felt her baby that early. And she might've even been at like 13 weeks. Oh, but those, yeah, those Still early, earlier. early feelings. Yes. It's, it's really neat. So that's so cool to hear that you had that. Yeah. It was really special. And then once I hit the second trimester, which was when we told our friends and family, I felt like everything became very smooth. I started doing some workouts from YouTube, stuff like that. And I just felt like I had a lot more energy. I was able to like be more productive with the work that I do from home. But a little bit later in the trimester, of course, things started getting more tired. But that's kind of, I feel like a honeymoon trimester or something like that. I was feeling just very positive about things and wasn't really experiencing any aches and pains in my body at that point, just because she was still so small. But I think around 24 weeks was when I started feeling Braxton Hicks. And that was exciting just because, I don't know, felt like preparation. (laughs) And soon after that, I started seeing a chiropractor, which I hadn't been to one before. Ah. So I started going because of just back pain and the pubic symphysis or however you say that mm-hmm. pain. And, but I found it extremely helpful. Apparently my pelvis was crooked, so <laughs> we needed to get that lined up for birth. <laughs> That's so cool that you decided to start during your pregnancy. <coughs> yes, it oh, was. Um, yeah, she's fussing <coughs> a little bit, but I was a little bit nervous. Obviously, because the videos that you see are of people having their necks twisted for chiropractic care. But I asked that that never happened. (laughs) And we're still going and we take the baby now as well. So I think it was a really nice thing to have during the pregnancy. That's amazing. And then around 24 or 25 weeks, I felt like the baby had kind of gotten in. I could feel the baby's position a little bit through belly mapping. And I felt like she was kind of transverse. And even though that was quite a few weeks, obviously early before you expect the baby to be in a good position, I kind of was nervous about that. I think it was 24 weeks and not 34 weeks, but I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to have a breech baby. Like I'm going to have to be like a first time home birth, breech birth. This is just too much. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm not going to the hospital. I can tell you that. Exactly. No chance. (laughs) Um, This is just too much of a challenge. But thankfully, by 26 weeks, from about then on, she was head down and mostly LOA. So she was over on my left side and pretty much was stuck there. I'm not sure how that would have felt for her. but (laughs) And then I was very thankful about that. But trying to think, about 33 weeks, I started having much more intense Braxton Hicks, which I'm not sure if that's normal or not, but just tried to take it easy and increase calcium, magnesium, stuff like that to try to keep it calm. About the same time, I realized my hemoglobin was a little bit low. Mm. And that was another thing that I know can risk risk you out for home birth is being anemic. So I doubled my iron. (laughs) What did you decide to do for that? Like how did, did you supplement or did you just increase your iron rich foods? Actually, yeah, that's something I'd forgotten about. So I had been taking a Seeking Health Iron, it's a pretty good one and it didn't cause any stomach issues. So I've been doing that one every other day. So I just doubled that to doing every day. Mm. But I did actually start having chicken livers for the first time. (laughs) Go Um, Sophia. (laughs) I I felt (laughs) it was like Western A Price (laughs) pregnancy. (laughs) But um, to make up for all of the food aversions I had prior because eating was a struggle. But yeah, so I did chicken liver and tried to combine that with just more protein and stuff like that as well. So Hopefully that helped. I didn't recheck my hemoglobin, but I had, I don't know, no indication that I was getting worse. So also around the same time, I decided to do the group B strep test. This was something that my gut had told me not to do because I've seen so many stories of women testing positive and being fine with it, but I just didn't want the extra worry, I guess, Mm -hmm. when it so often seems to be fine. But my midwives kind of encouraged it. In hindsight, I wish I hadn't done it, but I did take the strep test myself at the midwives. I did it on myself and it did come back positive. So they mentioned the concern for the premature rupture of membranes or it being prolonged. And they usually with positive results don't want it to go past, I think, 24 hours. Mm. I think that was the time. And so that definitely adds like a little bit of a psychological pressure. 
Right. But I ate tons of garlic. I increased my probiotics, had sauerkraut, stuff like that. And also just kind of reminded myself, people who were knowingly positive have been fine. And so many times, just on a given day, it can be a different result. So I try not to be too concerned. So then moving really towards the end of the pregnancy, around 37 and a half weeks, I was out walking and I had this... Oh, okay. I had this sensation that I described at the time as being like torn apart (laughs) in my abdomen. And I think it may have just been some kind of really strong Braxton Hicks, but my stomach became really hard and it stayed that way for like 20 minutes or something. So Mm. I went home and rested and I started wondering, okay, am I going to have some kind of earlier labor? Because at this point I was term. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen. Uh, and she was spoiler a big alert. Baby, so no, didn't happen. Um, the same week, I was going to the library and I fell forward on ice. Oh no! Which was pretty spooky. I landed on my hands and knees. I got a little bloody, bruised, and ripped my pants up a bit. But it's so scary when you have a baby on the front of your body to like fall. You're just so nervous that somehow you jarred them or something. But it turned out to be fine. Just was very shaken by that, but um, so scary. It was thank goodness for my chiropractor <laughs> mm-hmm. because I did throw my back out doing that. So oh, no. next day I went in and she straightened me back out. At that point, I was like, okay, I hope I have a few more weeks left in the pregnancy just so my bruises can go away and just be a little <laughs> bit better. So I can, right? I need to be able to stand and be on my hands and knees if I want to. Mm. Around the same week, I think I started food prepping. So everything was just kind of like getting closer together. I started having more symptoms, but I guess getting more to the birth for eight days before I was having contractions of some sort, they definitely felt stronger than the Braxton Hicks I'd had before. More of the like up and down and side to side type of contraction that you Mm. read about. And then just like was keeping an eye out for a mucus plug, stuff like that. I was very on alert, (laughs) but I guess I can get a little bit into the birth now. I'd love that. Absolutely. So on 40 weeks, to the day. I was having more contractions that day, but since I'd been having them for the week before, I had a question in my mind, but wasn't too, I don't know, alerted by it. But as the evening came, they were getting a little bit stronger. And I had been noticing just a little bit more of something that seemed like part of the mucus plug throughout that day. So I was like taking pictures, ready to send it to the midwife if need be. You always have to. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you don't get a picture of a mucus, are you like, are you even a midwife? <laughs> I should be like, do I need to delete these from my phone now? I keep coming across them, but like it's a memorabilia at this point. I, I still have uh, this is this is a TMI, but I still have a picture of a little piece of retained placenta that I had that's on my phone. And every time See? I scroll by it, I'm like, ugh, hope nobody okay. else sees this. <laughs> I'm not the only one then. <laughs> so Later in the evening, my contractions yeah, started feeling closer together, I think. And around 9 p.m., we decided to go to bed. And my husband went to sleep quite quickly. And <laughs> I just kind of lay there awake. And I just felt like I was sinking more and more into myself. Maybe like a little bit of, I don't know, like cloudy vision or funnel vision just starting to develop as I was pretty much absorbed in the sensations that I was having. So I was laying there and I started thinking, okay, this feels different. This feels more, but I won't wake him up yet. So I got up a little while later, went to the bathroom. And while on the toilet, I definitely felt much stronger sensations there. So I stood up and was kind of leaning on the sink for quite a while, just breathing and looking at myself, like making eye contact with myself, like what's (laughs) happening? (laughs) Being my own doula or something like that. Right. But I yeah, stood there, I made my way back to bed and I tried to lay down. It was pretty uncomfortable. So I got back up and I went to our little prayer corner. We are Orthodox Christians. So Orthodox people usually have these religious images, icons on the wall in their prayer corners or their prayer book and their Bible and stuff like that, just to kind of like how you'd have a picture of a loved one. It's a picture of like holy people and you know images of Christ and his mother, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very comforting part of our home. So I went and stood there and I was trying to say some prayers, kind of asking like, could I please go into labor tonight? Because this is feeling strong. Like, don't want to draw it out. Right. Um, 
and I knew my grandmother was coming the next day. So I thought, you know, I don't want it to be like a long waiting period when she gets here to feel pressure to go into labor. So please, if possible, can I go into labor tonight and have the baby <laughs> by or around when she arrives? So from then on, <laughs> I can say that things really kicked into higher gear a little bit for me. <laughs> the prayer was heard, <laughs> yeah. received. <laughs> Afterwards, the next day, I was like, what was I thinking? Why did I pray for this? <laughs> but I mean, it had to happen at some point. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was sad at that moment. I think I came to a reckoning. Like At this point, I had started to develop a little bit of feelings for the baby. I think maybe for a first-time pregnancy, it just feels surreal. Mm-hmm. At least for me, and I just didn't know how, like how to talk to my belly stuff like that. It felt awkward to me. But at this point, I was a little sad that the pregnancy was going to be ending, but also tired of being pregnant. So it was a little bit of a, I don't know, sadness and a anticipation at the same time. Right. So at that point, I went back to our living room. I stood a while, like leaning against the bookshelf, leaning forward to take pressure off my back, and just I don't know, the coolness of the wood or something was helpful. And I just kind of swayed in the dark by myself. Looking back, I should have definitely been hydrating or eating at this point, but (laughs) did not do that. So around 11.30, I went back to bed and I laid down and I kind of reached over and tapped my husband awake, which in hindsight, I was thinking also when I found out I was pregnant, it was early in the morning one time last year. And I also went in there and tapped him awake. So it was kind of (laughs) an analogous circumstance. Yeah, Um, it's beautiful. He's getting woken up by a lot of surprising things. <laughs> um, tap, tap, hello. Yeah, next thing. So I told him that I had been contracting for a few hours now, and I just felt like it was getting stronger. And he kind of suggested that I rest at that point, but I didn't feel like I could lay down. At that point, my body was kind of telling me to be upright and swaying, to kind of not allow the pressure to settle in any one part of my body, I think. So soon after that, we both got up. We were in the bathroom again, and he was kind of pressing on my lower back and hips. I was trying to breathe. And at that point, I think we just kind of laughed because it feels foolish (laughs) when you're not fully in it yet. And it's like, oh, we're doing the things that we've read about or seen in birth videos, stuff like that. But I think we're also kind of giddy, like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) this is starting. How are we going to handle this? So there's kind of a light moment there. But at this point, Let's see, it was probably close to midnight and I had not slept since waking up the morning before. So I hadn't rested. I hardly ate that day for some reason and had not hydrated very much. So we were on a good, strong footing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Doing great. (laughs) Yep. I think I should have added to my birth affirmation signs, like drink water, eat food, Mm -hmm. not just just breathe. But I'll remember that for next time. It's funny that you mentioned that because actually (laughs) I find that so important that in the Happy Home Birth Academy tracks for labor preparation and in labor, I say like, and now (laughs) you reach for your water bottle. It's really important. (laughs) Yes. So I don't think you had those out at the point when I was giving birth. Had you had them, that would have been helpful. (laughs) Next, I needed that reminder. (laughs) So around one a.m. It definitely seemed like, okay, this is not going to go backwards from here. So my husband called the midwives and he kind of stayed in touch with them from that point. From their notes, I can see that my contractions were lasting about two minutes at that point, And they were coming every three minutes is what they said. But oh, wow. um, that was just like the average. I think from my counter, some of them were as close as one minute together. And then they would last for two minutes. And then <laughs> I'd have a minute. And it was really close together for what I thought was normal at that point of labor. But yeah, so I didn't think I was getting much of a break at that point. It felt really constant. And I was just trying to remember to breathe deeply, but also finding myself holding my breath at times, just not sure of how to move myself throughout this. It was just so new. Well, that makes sense. If that's how your labor was presenting, it definitely makes sense that even though what you needed was, you know, hydration and food, that it was going to be very difficult for you to be able to focus on that. Yeah. Even to take a sip or something, it was such a distraction. And I think the moment I got distracted from things, it felt like they got stronger just to be like, oh no, you you can't forget about this. Mm, Right. (laughs) So it was hard for me to take a break to do that. My husband was handing me our mason jar of water. And at some point he went and got a coconut water, but even the, just the flavor was distracting. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. So I maybe had like six sips or something throughout the labor. And so I feel like my memory of the labor, at least is being super lucid, but in a days at the same time, I don't know. I was very focused, but also really alert to all of the sounds around me. Mm. So I don't know. I felt like my ears were myopically listening to everything around me. It was just a very strange, like hyper aware feeling. I was expecting to kind of, it was a combination, I don't know, of disappearing and also being more aware. I don't know how that works out, but. (laughs) No, I, it's just otherworldly. Yeah. It's completely different than anything I have experienced before. Mm -hmm. So somewhere between four and five, my husband started assembling the birth pool. We had one of the aqua doulas with the heating element because it was winter. Ooh, very Um, nice. If only I had been able to birth in it. (laughs) Oh. So at this point, I was just kind of groaning out nonstop, but trying to do it low so that hopefully, I don't know, it was not building tension. I thought I was going to be a quiet laborer, but apparently not. Um, (laughs) Turns out, no. Just like, ow. (laughs) Um, At 4.35, I did start to notice a little bit of tinge to my mucus plug. So I was like, okay, maybe this is the bloody show or something. And at 4.42, my water broke. So again, I was really surprised. I think I was walking into our living room or something, and it just was such a strange feeling. I guess it does kind of feel like you're peeing yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was like oh my gosh what's happening there's like stuff going down my leg like can you help me (laughs) just surprised by everything at 5 a.m we had the pool all set up and our little twinkle lights that I had put up were on and our little birth affirmation cards are on the wall so it looked super cozy in there and the water was starting to fill up taking its time but that was the only picture I actually had of the birth I was hoping to get a few pictures but we were just in another place at that time. Mm-hmm. So none of us remember to take photos, but I have that one photo right before things really got even stronger. And I don't know, it's a cozy picture. Oh, that's um, wonderful to at least have that. For sure. So yeah, after my water birth, my contractions did feel stronger. We were becoming more intense and there was more pressure downward, of course, because my cushion wasn't there anymore. So we were still texting the midwife at that point. And at 6 a.m., I think he asked him to come. So 45 minutes later, our first midwife came. So I don't know if I mentioned we had two midwives throughout the whole pregnancy. Okay. So the first one arrived, and I think I was in the pool at that point. It was pretty shallow and not super warm because we're in an apartment, and our water heater was not ready for this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and at that point, like I was completely naked, and I was like leaning sideways in the tub, being a little bit like loud with my owl and she came in and it was just like I don't even care (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't really mind if she sees this at this point we're we're in the middle of it but um, she's used to it yep and about 10 minutes later I think she checked the baby's heart rate for the first time so when she started checking things I did notice that I would tighten up my husband thinks that was more like anticipation was increasing like my fear and then my pain like the little cycle Mm-hmm. Um, you, so you mentally would tighten up or did you notice that your like contra- my your body belly was, was tightening? Yeah. My contractions got harder and I felt less able to breathe through them mm-hmm. whenever she wanted to come close for something, because I guess I had to be still and mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just scared or something. I yeah, don't know if this has happened to anybody else. And I, it sounds like maybe what you were experiencing was a little bit different, but yeah. With my first pregnancy and birth, I mostly used a fetoscope, but we did have we did have like an anatomy scan at one point and yeah. when the Doppler touched my belly, I would like my belly would actually contract really harshly. Wow. And so that, that was the only experience that I had with the Doppler throughout the pregnancy, but then we did use it again during the birth and the exact same thing happened every time that the Doppler touched my belly, I would have like a an external contraction. Like it wasn't like a, you know, the normal, like deep, yes. low contraction. It was just like this yeah. surface, harsh contraction. So like protective or something. Yeah. I don't know. That, that does remind me something I forgot to mention about the pregnancy before I get back to the, mm-hmm. where we were, but I did early on in pregnancy have like bleeding and it was more than what I read about for implantation bleeding. Mm-hmm. It turned out fine, obviously, cause I have a little baby now, but yeah. So I went in for a transvaginal ultrasound, which was Something I was hoping to avoid at like seven and six days, seven weeks, six days. 
Mm-hmm. So that was the one ultrasound we had. I, I opted out of the later one for the anatomy scan. And then at 13 weeks, we did a Doppler just to check the heart rate and the rest of our pregnancy. We also did the fetoscope. Yeah. I so love the fetoscope. <laughs> it's nice. And I wanted to be as low tech as possible. So mm-hmm. same. Um, Very yeah, so Okay. I didn't have the Doppler also mostly until birth. Yeah. So 746. So I don't know how many hours that is into it, but whatever. Things got stronger at 9 p.m. So 10 hours or almost 11 hours in. Mm. I started feeling a little bit pushy with my contractions. The midwife wanted me to kind of slow down with that, not to get into it because she said she didn't know how far progressed I was and didn't want me to like tear my cervix or anything like that by pushing too soon. So around 8 a.m., I went and laid on the couch with my husband. I was so tired at this point because of just not having too much energy. And they felt pretty much completely constant. But I remember looking up at our twinkle lights and breathing and moaning. And then somehow I would fall asleep for like one second, maybe. And then as the next contraction started, I would wake up and I'd be really confused about where I was. (laughs) And then I would very quickly remember. (laughs) It happened many times at that point and like just these little one second doses. I don't know how long we were there too much, but I did notice more and more at this point. So I think I mentioned the lucidness before, but at this point I was starting to like disassociate from my body a little bit. I think as a coping mechanism, I was in a lot of pain and I felt the pain and the tightening, but mentally I felt like I was stepping outside of myself. I always call it third personing. I was... Mm-hmm. Looking in from the outside, but also feeling everything. But I really do think that was some type of like coping trauma response mm-hmm. or something like Beta that. Beta endorphins. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's really. This. Yeah, it's really. It's really crazy. I've experienced. But I hate it at that other you, points in my life. Yeah, I but, hate that you were experiencing the discomfort with it. But that yeah. is interesting. How it did pull you out in some sense. Yeah, I was observing myself being in a lot of <laughs> strained. <laughs> feelings. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I still felt very alert. Like I could hear every whisper. My midwife was laying under our kitchen table at this point, like trying to rest. <laughs> and I could hear when she and my husband were like having little questions, like, do you think we should check on her now? And I would like call from the next room, <laughs> my answer. And they would have thought that I was asleep or something like that. And afterwards, the midwife did comment on that, that she thought it was funny that I was responding to pretty much everything they were saying, even between each other from like other rooms throughout the whole thing. But <laughs> hyper hearing um, you talked about. Yep. At 8 to 15 was my first attempt at a cervical check. Even we've never had one before then, like even during pregnancy. So I was kind of lying in an L shape on the couch and she, I could not open my legs because I was too scared. So yeah. I don't know. My experience, like I definitely feel like birth and labor are beautiful. I trusted the process before, but in the moment, I definitely felt some fear Mm -hmm. and the disassociation that came with that. So she wasn't too able to check it. She thought that it was maybe a little bit more than four centimeters dilated. But at this point, she wasn't wanting to push me. She was saying like, I don't want you to push until I've checked you, but whenever you're comfortable. So it's kind of like, you can't do this until this but in a kind way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, she still didn't want me to give into it because she just didn't feel like I was dilated enough. And I'm not sure at what point, I think it was before then I was in the pool and I had had, I had gone to the bathroom in the pool, which I knew that that happens during birth. And I Mm -hmm. threw up a few times. So that also, I think made me a little tired, just the retching and stuff like that. I think that may have come before this. And at that point I was wondering, this is, I hear about throwing up in transition. So maybe like I'm close to the end. Mm-hmm. Been there. there. <laughs> um, I was really hoping that that's what that was. So my husband just, yeah, kept trying to encourage me to drink a little bit. I wasn't doing it too much. At nine o'clock or so, I went to take a shower just to change, change positions to hopefully help myself progress a little more. Just leaning in there, also being very loud, <laughs> moaning. And I, at that point, I was thinking about our downstairs neighbor, <laughs> hoping that... <laughs> He wasn't like freaking out about it, but I don't don't think he heard anything from the whole birth somehow. At 9.40 a.m. was when my midwife made note in the notes that I was in active labor. I think I need to look back and look at the definitions of early and active labor because I feel like I had been in active labor for much longer, but I'm not sure. No, I know. And you know what? I sometimes 
and it was the exact same with my first birth. There are funky labor patterns and sometimes early labor and active labor can feel pretty dang similar. And yeah, yeah, I definitely also, I don't know, for me, it seems like women don't experience labor in stages and there's actually been some research (laughs) to that. So it can be helpful to kind of be like, oh, well, these are the general things that happen in early labor. And these are the general things that happen in active labor, but labor is so fluid and it's really important for us to remember that. Yeah. I guess it's not linear at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I don't, yeah, I don't know what it was that happened at that point that marked that as being active labor for the midwives, but towards the end at 10 AM, the midwives made note that my, well, I guess at that point they had started to notice that I had a cervical lip. I'm not sure when they discovered that. And they noted that it was less swollen and a little looser, but still tightening up when I was trying to push because I was feeling a little pushy. Mm -hmm. So they decided to put me on my back in the bed to take the pressure off because I think the lip was in the, like an anterior lip. Mm -hmm. So leaning forward was putting more pressure from the baby's head on the lip and increasing the swelling. So they had me lay back and the baby was at the station plus two, I think. I was at this point, I was a little disappointed, but I was not able to make choices for myself. And I think Mm -hmm. my husband mentioned afterwards that he was suggesting things because we learned a lot of coping mechanisms, like dancing, singing, kissing, like the kissing to open your cervix. Like I had really hoped that that would happen in my labor. Mm -hmm. None of that I felt able to do at all. Actually throughout the whole labor, he would speak and I would say, oh, please don't say anything right now. It's like really distracting. Can you just be close to me, please? So I feel bad for him in that regard that I like shut him down politely, but the whole time and he wanted to be able to help me. There's just nothing. But I guess he would sometimes suggest things. I don't remember this, but he tells me. And then I would say no and like wouldn't be able to even fathom it as being an idea. And then the midwives would suggest it and I would be like, okay. (laughs) Isn't it so strange though? I mean, isn't that so odd how that happens in labor? (laughs) Yeah. I thought I would trust my husband more. Right, right. The there's something, yeah, there's something about that like feminine, though, I think in yeah. labor sometimes that overtakes. That's very fascinating. There I could be a lot of studies on that. <laughs> For sure. So I was surprised to be on my back because I think one of the things I always thought was like, I will give birth in the squatting position. Like, mm. I will pull my baby out myself. Um, it's going to be like no hands near me. Like, I don't need help. So The fact that I was on my back in the bed was a little bit surprising to me because I thought, wait, this is what the position that they do in hospitals. Why am I on my back? But yeah, to take the pressure off the lip. So at 10.15, the second midwife arrived, not our original second midwife because her child, her toddler put her phone on airplane mode. (laughs) So she never got our calls and they called in a second midwife. And honestly, even though we loved our other second midwife, I almost feel like it was providential that this midwife arrived. She was so peaceful and maternal that mm. just from her arriving there, I felt very comforted by her presence. So I'm actually really thankful, oddly, mm-hmm. that that happened. It felt like a gift. But yeah, the lip was still there at 1024. And at 1032, they had me start pushing. But my midwife would put two fingers inside Oof. and try to push the lip up over the baby's head a little bit, like to gently get it to shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult because my body just by being touched was like becoming so much tighter again. And it was a little bit of a sharp feeling too. That Um, is very difficult. It's, I mean, just hearing moms express how that feels, that is not, that's not a fun thing to have to have happen. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of very much hope that I never experienced that again. (laughs) Yeah. But it was also needing to hold back from pushing because I'd been feeling pushy for three hours by this point and had been trying to hold back. My midwife would hear me grunt sometimes. She's like, are you starting to push? I'd be like, no, (laughs) but yes. (laughs) Um, So she was trying to push back and guarding the lip and in 58, so a little bit, 20 minutes after I started pushing, they said that I was 10 centimeters and they had me on the birth stool. So they had me on the birth stool, then on the bed, then back to the birth stool. So I was moving a lot while the baby was very low. Felt strange, like, because my legs, I needed to walk with my legs, like, quite far apart in order to, like, make room for the baby. 
And at this point at 11 or so, the midwife was saying that I was stopping pushing every time, right as I was getting the pushing in the right spot. Hmm. So she had me try to diffuse some of the energy by breathing three times. And then on the fourth breath was when she had me start pushing. So it was a little bit into each contraction that was happening. Because apparently on my third breath, I was stopping, but it was only then that I was becoming efficient or something like that. Right. So we started doing that. And I was at this point remembering my mother, who I don't have a lot of contact with now, which is difficult. But at this point, sorry, (laughs) tearing up a little bit. I was remembering my mother and birth and how she was like (laughs) almost popping blood vessels giving birth to my brother when I was 16 and my first sibling and just how tough she was. She was falling asleep between, but I was holding her hand and she was like sweating and just working so hard. And I always remember like, that is kind of my image of my mother is when she has hard situations, she just buckles down and pushes through. So as I was like really struggling to push and to like stop pushing, start pushing to try to like being directed based upon how my lip was doing. I was kind of thinking of her and thinking like, I need to be as strong as my mom. (laughs) And I was pushing so hard at this point. And then by 1220, so I started pushing at 1030. At 1220, I was then back on the bed on my hands and knees, kind of leaning forward on our headboard. And then after that, they said, oh, that's putting more pressure. So come back and lay on your side. Mm. So we were just like doing gymnastics during the birth. I went back and laid on my side. I think my husband was maybe helping hold one of my legs up. And at this point, actually, my husband is a Greek Orthodox priest. So we're not also Orthodox, but we're also, he's a clergyman. Mm -hmm. And at this point, he started saying some of these prayers that we say as Orthodox, but in Greek. And one of them is Kyrie Jesu Christe Yetu Theule Sonme, which is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then as Orthodox, we also ask the Lord's mother to pray to him because our, our thought is a mother has a good influence on her child. And mm-hmm. so we ask Christ's mother to intercede for us. Like, Lord, please listen to your mother who is also praying on our behalf. So my husband was also saying prayers to her. And so he was saying this on the bed. And at that point, I felt like it was the one point when I came back into my body a little bit. And I started saying the prayers along with him. I remember his face at that point. It looked like he was kind of close to tears, I think, because I was joining in with him after having been so disconnected from him for the whole labor. Wow. Um, That was definitely a beautiful moment to remember. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spirituality of birth cannot be denied. For sure. And it was actually right in front of our prayer corner where our bed is anyway. So just very glad that the reminder of those things was nearby. Mm -hmm. But so I had been pushing for over two hours at this point, and the midwives suggested that I try the toilet. So one of the midwives was the one encouraging all of this movement, and the other one was kind of, the one who came later was kind of encouraging to be slower, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of interesting, saying, like, like it will take its process. She was a little bit more of an experienced midwife, but the other one, because my waters had been broken and stuff like that, she, I think wanted to, and I couldn't hold back very much from pushing. So she just really wanted to get that lip out of the way. So they suggested, and I guess at that point I was fully dilated. So they suggested that I go to the bathroom and try the toilet, do some sphincter law work in there. Mm-hmm. So I went and I faced backwards on there and I was alone. It's a very small bathroom. And at that point, I decided to reach down and try to see what I could feel. They kept asking me if I wanted to throughout the pushing. And I would each time said, no, like, it's too distracting. Like, I don't want to think about anything else. But when I was in there by myself, I did reach down and I felt like her hair on top of her head and her hair had so wrinkly, like how it smashed together (laughs) as it's coming out. But And at this point, I thought she was a boy because so many people had told us boy. And so I was, I think I even said like, little boy, would you please come out? And I was just like begging the baby. I was like, mommy's trying so hard. Like, please help me out a little bit. Like, I'm trying to get you out of there as much as you want to come out. And 
my husband came in there and at that point, I think the midwife called in and she said, if you start feeling a burning sensation, you need to come out of the bathroom and go back to the bedroom because it's too small in there for me to help you with the baby. So I was feeling a burning sensation. I did not want to tell the midwife because (laughs) the baby's head was like so close to being out, like I could feel it. And it wasn't rising up as much at this point in between each contraction. So the idea of walking with bones (laughs) there was just Uh, very daunting, but I did start Mm -hmm. feeling a very strong burning sensation. So I said, okay, I feel it. And my husband, one of the midwives took each side of me and I kind of waddled into the bedroom um, (laughs) through our living room and yeah, no water birth at this point. Oh Um, no, that's, that's intense. (laughs) It sounds very intense. (laughs) It was quite intense. So I got in there and I decided, I was like, I want to face backwards on the birth stool so I can pretend like I'm still in the toilet. And, um, lean on my husband. So I did. And at that point I was just bearing down so hard because I knew that she was almost there and I just wanted it to be over. So I pushed and pushed and my midwife was doing the massage with the oil to try to help prevent tearing. And then suddenly her head was out. I don't even know like how fast it was or anything like that. I just definitely remember the sensation. And then immediately after that was this pop, like a string on a guitar. And it was her arm, which had been next to her. Or her head. Aha. Um, with there a we go. fist. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I had my answer there about <laughs> why this had taken so long. It was about three hours of pushing. And then I think one or two more pushes and just this heavy body just like flopped out of me. <laughs> just a very distinct feeling. Mm-hmm. And I was just so shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, it's over. It's like, I couldn't believe it, but I was pretty quiet at that point, I think, except for I just said like, hello, baby, like, how are you? (laughs) And they handed the baby up and I was holding her and she was very white and not breathing. Mm. And I was so disconnected at this point that I wasn't even like scared or sad or anything like that, even though it was clear that she was not doing well. Her heart rate was fine the whole time. I just think coming out was a shock for her. Mm -hmm. So the midwives brought over our little resuscitation thing and they started giving her rescue breaths and checking her heart and they were saying like her heart's still falling she needs to be breathing and so they've told us before that if we have to give five rescue breaths we might have to call a squad to come assist or take us to the hospital because usually they don't make it to five is what they told us previously so they made it to five and she still was not breathing so I just remember holding her and be like come on little baby like please breathe like mommy and daddy are here we're holding you and yeah, I don't remember if she, she at that point, I remember her Apgar was five because her color was zero or pale or blue. And I do remember at this point, I was like, oh, I should check to see if she's a boy. Because <laughs> we had been told so often that she was a boy, even though my husband's gut feeling was girl from the beginning. So I looked over and she was so cheesy and swollen because, <laughs> you know, babies, I guess, are swollen when they're born there. Mm-hmm. And not to be TMI, but I thought that they were testicles. Right. (laughs) But I couldn't find a penis. So I was like looking in the crease of her leg, like, where is it? Like, is it this small? Like, what's up with my little boy? And then someone said, like, I think it's a girl. I was like, I was like, are you serious? (laughs) That explains. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I was so confused. Um, Yeah, that was definitely something I cannot wait to tell her when she's older. (laughs) I cannot find your penis for the life of me. (laughs) Because you didn't have one. (laughs) Um, So my cord was very short. And so having her up to resuscitate her was tugging a little bit on my placenta. And I know they wanted me to birth the placenta pretty soon because they wanted to be able to lay the baby better on a board to administer more rescue breaths or whatever. So My midwife had me kind of stand up a little bit. I was still holding the baby, but leaning forward a little bit on my husband. And she just had me give a couple of pushes. And I think she gave a little traction Mm. and it just kind of flopped out. So that was like, I had been anxious about the placenta birthing and need to be catheterized the whole pregnancy. And that was totally fine. That was not the issue. (laughs) Not the issue. (laughs) So the placenta came out and then immediately I just had cups of blood that started pouring out of me all over our bedroom floor and the baby started feeling very heavy to me. And I said like, Oh, I can't hold her. She's too heavy. Can someone take her? And I was starting to black out like 
those vignette filters on Instagram where the darkness comes in from the side, like that was happening to my eyes. Oh, wow. Um, so I guess one of the midwives took her and I passed out and my husband and the midwife, the other midwife got me and kind of fell onto the bed with me. And I, they said that I lost about four cups of blood. My husband feels like it was more and that they were being conservative on the report. Ooh. But either way, like I'm a small person. I was 107 pounds before getting pregnant, small boned. And so that was a lot of blood for me, even with my extra blood from pregnancy. It was and the fact I think that it was all at once was what mm-hmm. made it such a shock to my body. So I woke up not long after. I don't know how long I was out. And I had no idea where I was or what had happened. Just felt completely confused. And my body was like a lead weight, super dizzy. And my eyes kept feeling like they were darkening over. So I felt like I was falling back into it. Oh, wow. So my midwife was above me and I was like, what happened? And she was like, you passed out. Like, <laughs> that's what happened. And then I realized that I had just given birth. <laughs> And I was like, oh, where's my baby? Like, is she okay? And I remember that she hadn't been breathing. And I looked over and my husband was holding her and the placenta (laughs) wrapped up. And he was, my husband's a very strong, not easily shaken person, which is good because I am very easily shaken. But he said at this moment that he had never felt true fear in his life until that moment because he thought that his baby and his wife were dying. Oh, Sophia. That is the hardest thing to, I cried a lot, like every time I remembered it for the weeks after birth, because the fact that my husband had, I can't imagine feeling that way about him. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. having that fear. And so the fact that he had such a, like he was, I was passed out. He had the actual experience of seeing it. So I think it was a little more traumatic for him than for me because I was blacked out. So he looked just so sad. But I guess soon after that, the baby started to breathe. And she started getting pink. Thank God. Like, I'm so thankful. And the midwives, at this point, after, I guess, 16 hours since 9 p.m., it was one, 1 o'clock or so when the baby was born. They started bringing me the coconut water and dates and peanut butter. Mm. The flavors were so strong to me at that point because I hadn't eaten for probably 24 hours. And, oh, my goodness, I didn't want to eat them. But they kept saying, like, you have to eat them. I was like, I feel like I'm passing out again. Like, am I going to die? Like. Am I okay? Oh, gosh. I just felt out of control. Like, just because mm-hmm. just my eyes kept shutting. Like, I was like, I can't keep them open. And so my husband and I, at this point, while I was still trying to gain strength, we're trying to ask the midwives, like, do we need to go to the hospital for hemorrhaging, like, to get help? And I remember that they have Pitocin. And I wanted to ask, like, is this necessary? I know it can interfere with, interfere with bonding. Like, my brain was still there, mm-hmm. but my body was just super unable to do anything. So I was trying to ask and I was like, I feel unable to make this decision right now. Can you kind of tell me what, like you have more experience, please tell me what you think we need to do. Cause they were kind of like, do you feel like you need to? And I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what I need to do right now. I don't know. My eyes keep closing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they said we can do placenta in the cheek. Is that called buccal placenta or something like that? Uh, that would make sense for it to be called that. I have never heard it called that, but I bet I think, you're right. I think that's that what they called sense. it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we can try it. Like, and then if that doesn't work, we'll try the Pitocin because they said that the placenta would usually work faster mm-hmm. than the Pitocin would. So they cut off a piece of my placenta and I was like, please take a picture of it before you cut it. <laughs> um, and they brought it and put it in my mouth. And surprisingly, it was fine. I think I just sucked on it a little bit and it came mm-hmm. out completely white afterwards. Mm. So I, I So you put it, it in your cheek? Yep. Yeah. And it did, I guess, help with the bleeding. Although the midwives were still pushing on my uterus a little bit. And so every time they did, there was another gush. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely covered in blood. Our sheets are covered in blood. So at this point, they asked me, like, do you want to hold the baby? And I was like, no, (laughs) I I need to like feel stronger. I feel like I might drop her or I don't want to pass out if I'm holding her again. Like holding her made me scared because I thought that that was going to make me pass out again. But Right. So well, the last hour, thing that you had had that you had done before you passed out was you were holding, holding your baby her. and she felt heavy, right? That exactly. makes so much sense. So I thought it was a bad idea to take her back again. And I just wanted her to be calm too. So I just thought, stay with your daddy. Like mm. <laughs> he's more in control of himself right now. So at 2.40, I guess I did have her back by then. We have a picture. I'm so pale. My hair's all over the place, like blood on my body, but I'm half smiling. 
So the first picture was our serene birth space, and the second photo was that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, it was a stark difference. And the midwives wanted the baby to latch. So 240, she put her mouth on my nipple, and they counted that as latching. It, at that point, I was like, I'm so surprised that I stayed at home, but I'm so glad like, that I didn't have to go to the hospital because I, even with all of that, like, I didn't want to. Although I do remember at a certain point during labor, I did have the thought it would be easier to die than to continue doing this. Wow. (laughs) So I kept thinking like, maybe I could just die. That would be great. (laughs) Um, That's so intense. I didn't tell my husband that till afterwards, but um, (laughs) kept that one on the down low. (laughs) Yeah. let's, Let's not tell anyone that. But the midwife said like, you didn't ask for help once. You didn't mention pain relief. You didn't mention even cesarean once. Like they didn't mention the hospital. They're like, I were really surprised because you were working really hard. And most people at least like have a moment. I guess they were saying, I don't know if this is true, where they like get to a point where they're like, okay, never mind. I don't Mm want to do this. I would like pain relief or something like that. But it didn't even cross my mind to go to the hospital because I hadn't entertained it throughout pregnancy, I think. And it just is not my norm. So It didn't come to mind. Right. So I didn't shower for two days (laughs) because I couldn't get up. But when Mm -hmm. I finally did, my husband took me and like held me upright in the shower because I started standing up, made me feel like I was going to pass out again. My just because of the blood loss. And of course, there's that feeling after birth where your organs kind of are flopping around. Mm -hmm. And so there's no core strength to like also hold yourself up. So Thank God my grandmother also was there at that point. She came that night. So they were helping me to like start to walk. And the midwife mentioned that it looked like she had tongue ties. So a couple days in or that Wednesday. So she was born on a Sunday. And on Wednesday, we had a lactation consultant come to our home. And she said, yeah, she's got some pretty strong ties here. And so at that point, my nipples were very blistered because every time Mm. she tried to latch, she was giving me blood blisters. Oh, ouch. Um, ouch. Yeah. And I think because of a little bit of the stress, my milk was just being a little bit slow to come. So I was crying every time she latched. Mm. And we knew she, we needed to get her ties taken care of. But there's this one lady who does laser and she's supposed to be really good at it. And our pediatrician called and asked a favor. <laughs> so thankful for that because it would have been a week and a half or something more. But instead, we got her in on the Thursday after she was born. And oh, wow. this lady's very focused on breastfeeding. So she's like, you need to breastfeed her before. Or sorry, give her a little syringe before. Because at this point, I was pumping and su- supplementing with finger feeding. Mm-hmm. So I was putting breast milk through a tube on my finger. And she was sucking on my finger as well as trying to breastfeed a little bit. So we had her ties lasered. And it took three weeks for those to heal. And I think by five weeks, we got into a stride. By two weeks, I think I felt bonded to the baby. I loved her from the beginning, I think, but just because of how exhausted I was and not having, you hear about that oxytocin rush after giving birth. And because I passed out, I didn't have that. And I've also heard about like a hormonal nice feeling or whatever when you breastfeed. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have that either. It was just pain. And I thought, I thought this was supposed to be instinctual, like second nature. I trusted the process. Like why is every single part of this requiring so much work like the birth was so much work the breastfeeding is so much work and she was quite jaundiced so we were anxious about everything and then her ties and I just thought this is when am I going to be able to rest like Mm -hmm. actually like process the birth a little bit and I think for me about two weeks when I could actually like slowly walk across the house like holding onto furniture I started to like have more peaceful feelings, I think, about it all come in, even though it was still hard to remember. And by six weeks, I was able to feed her more easily without needing to pump between. Mm. And around two months, I started being able to nurse her on my side because we bed share, which meant that I didn't have to get up at night. That is great. And from then on, I think like it was just so helpful because the main thing I think that I learned throughout this process is the level of perseverance that a woman is capable of in a situation like this, you'd kind of have no choice, I guess, but just needing to push through everything. And even after the birth, pushing through the breastfeeding, 
just to get to the point where I would be able to breastfeed my child in a normal way and be able to walk and everything like that. I feel almost proud and thankful that I learned that lesson because I didn't know that I could be strong in that way. And I so often feel like a weak, anxious person. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Wow. That, it is incredible, Sophia. I mean, to think about how you mentioned, you know, you didn't receive that oxytocin rush that kind of, for some mothers, you know, that's kind of like their like maternal instinct almost like, yes, exactly. And you didn't have that, but your love showed up through your perseverance. And exactly that is so intense and so deep. I can't help but wonder, you know, like how that is going to influence the rest of your motherhood journey is that it did not start off the way that you were expecting, but you persevered and you showed up for your daughter and your family. And it's amazing. It's amazing (laughs) to hear it. I think it's that sacrificial love that I had not had the opportunity to experience in such an intense way before. And I almost love her more. Mm. I don't know how I would have loved her otherwise. I'm sure just as much, but I feel like I love her more intensely and deeply because I had to work so hard. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. It was, thank God she's here. Like she is my little joy and now I can't get enough of her. Like I, (laughs) I just love her so much, but One last thing that I wanted to mention about the recovery process was that I did end up tearing. I Mm. had perineal and labial tears. Mm. And even weeks later, it wasn't healing like I expected it to. Actually, even now, I'm not sure if I'm fully healed. And I will be seeing a urogynecologist to try to assess how my tearing is developing because I just don't think it, I didn't have stitches. So I think Mm -hmm. it maybe didn't know what to do on its own. So there was definitely tearing. And then I discovered this, and maybe this will be helpful to some of your other listeners, but apparently about 50% of people giving birth have pelvic organ prolapse. 50%? I didn't realize it was that high. That is what my pelvic floor therapist has told me. And even one other person mentioned it as well. But I guess sometimes it's to a small enough degree that you wouldn't notice it. So it's not. So yeah, I think as a process, I also had some cystocele, which I think is a bladder prolapse. It's not incontinence, but it's just that the ligaments holding those organs up were so strained during pregnancy that they they don't tighten up. So to a certain extent, some of the organs can be weighing a little bit heavily into the birth canal. Mm. So that was something I definitely experienced and have been experiencing. I baby wear a lot. So there's also that extra continued pressure of having my child on my body. But it's good to know, I think, in advance. I wish I had known in advance that that was such a high possibility because I could have read up about it or prepared mentally or had resources ready. So right, definitely. I'm glad you're seeing somebody now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think it's very helpful. I completely agree. And thank you for sharing that because you're right for plenty of other moms that are listening, they can know, okay, well, why don't I just go ahead and get that resource ready so that if I do need it, it's there and there's no question about it. Yeah. And these therapists do know how to help rehabilitate the body, but it just definitely takes time. Like pregnancy is such a a hard work and birth is as well. And of course it means you're going to have that fourth trimester of healing and probably even beyond the fourth trimester, just adding strength back to your body, renewing your nutrient stores and stuff like that. But just having a little bit of patience with yourself, I think can go a long way in that regard. I completely agree. Sophia. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have shared such amazing information and such a beautiful story of of how, you know, it's not always perfect and it can be messy and wild and very hard. And yet still, you know, you have that mother's love and you are on the other side of it now, enjoying your sweet baby. I just thank you for your openness and your willingness to share with everyone your story. Of course. Thank you for yeah, giving me the opportunity and for your support like through texting throughout the my pregnancy. <laughs> it was it was nice. Oh well like I said I, I love the connections that have come from this podcast. I truly do feel like there's just a community of women near and far that can really care for one another and that's it's just so needed. It's beautiful. Yeah.
Well, well, once again, so much, Caitlin. Yes, thank you. Such an incredible episode. As we head into this week's episode roundup, I really just want to leave you with one final thought. And that is that birth is not always going to go perfectly. It's not always going to be easy. And bonding isn't always going to happen just as we wanted it to happen immediately postpartum. But that's not the end of the line. That is the beginning. And there's so much that we can do to encourage a healthy, beautiful relationship with our babies. And sometimes that means looking for support. And I want to encourage all of you to find support, seek help when these types of situations occur. That's what Sophia did. And she has such a beautiful bond with her baby that she worked so hard to gain. All right, my friends, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.